from Melbourne and Minneapolis. This is for Christ's sake. Second, 1 a.m. to 12 noon. The doorman had seen it happen. Right before his eyes, the far end of the bridge had bucked up, twisted, and plunged down out of sight. His status as the only eyewitness made him the centre of attention of a large crowd which had gathered in the rain and howling wind to look at the wreckage of girders and struts. The people were soaked and dripping, hair plastered to their faces, but they talked with excitement and nervous animation. It was like a lawn party, the doorman thought with mild amusement. He had expected something like this to happen before long. The whole hotel was so shoddily built. He had a brother who worked construction in Zaragoza, and his brother had pronounced the arena badly built. That was enough for the doorman. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm one of your hosts, Hugh, and I'm joined by the other of your hosts, Hunter. Announce yourself, Hunter. Hey, guys. Thank you. And we are continuing our journey through the debut novel of Michael Crichton, Odds On, which is part of our larger journey through Michael Crichton's entire bibliography, plus bonus other stuff, which will comprise this podcast over the years. You mean the rest of our lives? The rest of our lives. Unlike the guy who was doing that Joyce podcast, we can't die prematurely, however. Frank Darimond? That loser. That was his name. Frank Darabont. No, that's the director of that's the director of uh, the Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just to say. Uh, what was it called? It had a, it had a decent title for a podcast. I don't know. Was it Joyce? I never listened to it. I don't hear about Joyce. Joyce podcast. I'll find it. I'll find it. Give me a second. Rejoice. Yeah, good name. Good name for a podcast. Frank Delaney. Sorry. Yeah, just like for Christ's sake. But obviously, for Christ's sake, is a better podcast. So, Hugh, uh, where did we leave off our characters last time? So, Miguel and Brian had finished uh, scouring the hotel rooms for valuables. Mm. Jenks had got into the safe in the manager's office. It seems like they were set up for success, right? It seemed like the computer had led them on the path to victory. Indeed. Mwah, no. But when Jenks opened that safe, the combination for which he secured for no small sum, what did he find but... A bunch of valueless papers and nothing else. No valuables, no jewels. No million dollars. No. So Jenks thought, okay, let's not panic. Maybe that means that all the valuables are in the hotel rooms and that Brian and Miguel will reconvene with me later on and they'll have a bundle full of bounty Mm. to divide, right? But that is not the case. Miguel and Brian also turned up with nothing a diddly squat i mean essentially what they managed to turn out was like 200 dollars worth or something which wouldn't even pay any of the hotel fares surely no it 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 
Jake's paid $10,000, lest we forget. They've already invested a lot of money into this scheme. They sure have. Well, Jake's has invested a lot of money for, for fucking nothing, it seems. Oh, we also have wine and biscuits and some shit that you have. I've got a gin sour and I've got some crackers. What sort of biscuits do you have, Hugh? Just any old biscuits? Banana cream. Mm. Is that fitting for reasons? Michelle. Michelle? And who is that? She's an innocent banana lady. Mm. <laughs> yes. I don't even know why she's in the book. Do you? I, I don't know why half the characters are in the book, Hugh. Hmm. I guess we'll find out. Like, why do we care about this eccentric old lady who likes bananas? So what? I like bananas well enough. Well, maybe, maybe we'll find out uh, if we talk some. Yes. So after the explosive events in the last chapter, it's time to proceed through morning June 22nd, 1 a.m. to 12 noon. So uh, we've already detailed what opens the chapter. We got the Mr. Doorman, whose name is not... Uh... Uh, Brian Doorman. Uh, please, that'd be confusing with the main character, Brian. Let's call him Caleb Doorman. Okay. Um, who is complaining about how shitty the hotel is. And um, from there, we cut to Annette. Uh, also, you know, dealing with the aftermath of the explosion, all these guests asking, uh, you know, what's going to happen? Are they going to be able to get off the island? All that sort of stuff. It's chaos. It's chaos. Uh, she is up all night trying to fend off these monsters, trying to steal her life energy. And, um, yep, that's about it for that bit. Am I right? Yep. Uh, crucially, I think, or maybe not, probably not, uh, the doorman remembers that there was a taxi that sped off in the night, but then forgets to tell anyone. Yep. So, so far, so succeeding for the larger apparatus of Jinx's plan, if not the specifics of it. So from there, we cut straight to... Uh, what do you think we cut to next to? Would you, would you think that Crichton would resolve some of the cliffhanger that uh, that he set up in the last chapter? What do you think? I think we'll cut to the most important sequence of events thus far narrated. <laughs> mm. uh, which is if you assumed that we were going to say watching... <laughs> Our favorite character, uh, the incel himself, Peter Ganson, <laughs> drunkenly stumble around his room and contemplate suicide. You were right. So this is the first Peter section. Yep. He is drinking heavily in his room. Because mm, because of, of the, the fact that Ginny has broken their engagement and won't put out for him. He's miserable. Mm. Um, he's interpreted the exploding of the bridge as an omen. He's, he's reading... <laughs> Live and let die. <laughs> and yes, he is contemplating suicide at one point mm. as well. But Hugh, what, what drives him back from the brink? The fact that it wouldn't be worth it because, you know, Jenny would just shrug it off. She wouldn't even probably even notice that he had cut his own, his own throat or arms. So he fantasizes about uh, other women. Well, Hugh, uh, I think, you know, so often we make the mistake of dissecting when we could just allow... Uh, you know, the bard to speak for himself. Mm. I don't think we should make that mistake now. What do you think? Do you think it's time for some, uh, for Crichton out loud? Let's cede the spotlight to the text. He's riding and proud. Come on, let's hear it. Right about now. For Crichton out loud. Hot girls were a dime a dozen. Wandering around the port, lying on the beach. He'd show up in the jag and knock them dead. He'd make four girls a night. 
five even, Ginny could go to hell. There were other girls in the in the world who would have a good time eating bola bays and fingering chicks under the table with his free hand. He needed a little action. Spain was in the wrong country. Too reserved, too formal, too inhibited. He'd go back to France. The girls knew what was all what it was all about. Feeling slightly better, he undressed and climbed to bed. And that's where we leave our good friend Peter in bed, presumably with an erection. Which character's company do we get to enjoy next? Should it, should it be perhaps our main protagonist? Maybe Jenks, maybe Miguel, maybe Brian, maybe all three. Maybe Annette, maybe Ginny. Maybe. No, we jump to the perspective of one Miss Shaw. Miss Shaw, the eccentric banana woman. Yep. What has she got to do with anything? Well, Hugh, why is she, she even here? Well, I don't understand. Let, let me let me let me let me detail at least this portion of the chapter out a little bit, okay? So Miss Shaw, after the bridge blows up, is understandably a little bit worried. She's come to the island to sell some calf marijuana and make a bucket full of money, but she can't do so if the cops are going to swarm out over here investigating. So she flushes all her stash down the tube. And that's it. <laughs> that's it. So that's the end of her arc. She comes to the hotel to sell weed. Some cops arrive to investigate this robbery, and then she flushes down the toilet. That's it. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Why are we reading about this fucking banana woman? Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't possibly understand. Well, you you think from there, okay, finally we'd get some of the big characters, am I right? Yeah, let's go back to Jenks, um, uh, Gil, no, no, wait, Brian, this, oh, no, sorry, anyone, sorry. any two, any no, three. Hugh, Hugh, I meant the main characters. Cynthia and John Paul. <laughs> <laughs> we just we just had some for crying out loud, but you know, you know, I think I think perhaps we could use a little bit more. What do you think? I feel like you could just read this entire section because words fail me, Hugh. But they do not fail, Michael Crichton or Mr. Lodge, as it were. Is riding proud? Come on, let's hear it. about now. Once again, this podcast is devolving into our daddy, Michael Crichton, wrote a porno. (laughs) The bedroom was dark. Oh, Cynthia said, that's good. Jean-Paul, still smelling of the smoky fire, was reaching into her, tickling her, probing her, heating her. (laughs) He was good, but she admitted slight disappointment. It had been better with Kef. Next time, they'd do it with Kef again. And they would really have a session. The storm and the wind howled outside. She began to feel deep stirrings. This wasn't going to be so disappointing after all. Mm. So uh, another sort of seemingly, no, totally inconsequential little bit. Am I right? Yeah. Right. And finally, smash. We smash from them smashing to our good friends, Peter, John, Bjorn, and Ben. <laughs> what's, what's that fans? Peter, Bjorn, and John. Yeah, there you go. I know we smashed to our our good friends, Brian, Jinx, and Miguel. What are they doing, Hugh? Jinx is at his desk. Mm. Uh, The room is lit by candlelight, just to give some ambience for you. Mm. Uh, He's recovering from his initial shock at the revelations of last chapter. Mm -hmm. The fact that uh, they have been foiled in their efforts to secure... The hotel's valuables. That's true. Foiled not by police or any sort of law enforcement, but by other criminals. So embarrassing. Hugh, how could the computer have gotten wrong? Yeah, initially Jenks has, has the thought the computer was wrong. 
But no, that was ridiculous. There's no way the computer could be wrong. It must be something else. Mm. Maybe maybe Brian and Miguel <gasps> are in cahoots no. and they're hiding the valuables from him. No, that can't be it because it be it. he knew how to unload the stuff safely and quickly and they did not. Then who could it be? If it's not Miguel and, and Brian, who could it be? Could it be an inside job? The staff? Maybe it was Mr. Bonard himself. Maybe. Well, Jinx's reverie is interrupted as Miguel and Brian storm in. And what does Miguel say? Miguel has one word to offer to... He has one accusatory exclamation. Brady. Brady. That's right. Our con man friend, Alan Brady. Miguel seems to believe that he is responsible. Jenks is not entirely sold on the idea that this is Brady's scheme, right? Mm. His w logic being that a woman had told him she had deposited jewels into the safe after Brady had already left. Although he doesn't rule out the possibility that Brady is involved somehow. Mm. Uh, and we get some little bit of, uh, Monica. I don't know, feller, I guess, about them arguing. And then, uh, what, what are, what's a gang of guys to do? But, you know, Hugh, sometimes the, the, the brain is, is better served, uh, with, with a little bit of tequila and some sleep. Am I right? Yeah. So, uh, Miguel passes around a slug of imported tequila. They down some. They talk some more about who could possibly be, but don't reach any definitive conclusions. Decide to mull it over and uh, report back the next day. They make a plan to reconvene at 10 a.m. the following morning. Mm. How, how true. At the pool. All right, so Peter Ganson decides to go to his car, which uh, he talked about in the last section. Uh, I don't know why the crime is making such a big fuss about this car. Do you know why? <laughs> I don't understand why this section exists in this chapter. Do you? Maybe. maybe <laughs> I, I, I theorized because, well, you know what? So, some of the more inconsequential parts of this novel do snap into focus later in this chapter, which we, not to, to divulge too much, I think. Not the sex seats per se. But like, so he goes, to, he goes down to the garage, he goes to his car, and he sort of plays around with it. He's a little bit racist to the Spaniard who yeah. doesn't speak English. And uh, he calls the car basically a, a mistress, which is a little weird. I'll, I'll quote two sentences here from this section. So first he describes the car. Beautiful and graceful and sexy. It made him feel sexy just to drive it. Right. And then later, after he starts the car, we get this. The car responded so eagerly. Like a perfect woman, an ideal mistress. And it was his, all his. So I, I guess it does add to the Peter psychology. But, uh, I mean, it doesn't really paint a different picture of Peter than the one that had already been painted. No, it speaks to seem more like it didn't sell. He wants someone who's built like a car, who has a hubcap diamond star halo. Sure. Alright, so... Uh... That's, that's the Gantz's action disposed of. Uh, I was perhaps, I don't know, uh, maybe that's how the... That's what the thieves put the stuff they robbed in his car. I really I really don't know what this action is doing here, but perhaps it'll come back up later. Who knows? Moving on. Moving on. Uh, so we go from Ganson to some more fucking filler. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, it was just Mr. Bonnet and Annette surveying the uh, wreckage of the bridge. And the only thing of significance that happens is Ginny uh, wanders over and 
also looks at the branch, and she seems to be smiling at its destruction. Very curious. And that's that's all that that's that's that little segment. That's it in a nutshell. Uh, then finally we return to our hero, Mr. Jinx. Mm-hmm. Um, and wait, 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 wait. The hero is the IBM computer that Martha <laughs> Sorry, sorry, schemes. of course. It's not Mr. Well, Jinx. Well, but Jinx programmed the computer. The computer only did I won't, I won't, I won't have you <laughs> stealing Bella from the computer. Okay. You know what that means? <laughs> I mean, I don't know what that means. I know it doesn't that's, mean the right thing. That's one of those. That's one of those uh, memes that I just totally missed the original source of. I just don't understand why people say it now. So, anyway, not relevant. Nope. But uh, you know, I think I think to get us back on track to the main uh, substance of this chapter, we should have a little more. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right now, what do you think? Do we even need to be here? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. We, we need to read the book out loud. <laughs> Program an IBM computer of our own to read the text out? <laughs> no, no, because we need to read it ourselves. Right. Okay, you ready? Mm-hmm. It's riding and proud. Come on, let's hear it. Right about now. Feel crying out loud. Irritably, Jinx looked up from his watch. It was after 10, and neither of the others had showed up yet. Discipline was shot to hell, he thought. It never would have happened the day before. Across the pool, he saw Jenny, who waved and seemed about to come over. He shook his head and frowned. She shrugged and walked off. It was a remarkably docile display, he thought. He must have, must have trained her better than he had thought. <laughs> That's all I wanted to read. I highlighted the same <laughs> sentence. <laughs> I can't imagine why. Uh, so, yeah, we get a little more, little, little, little bit more misogyny. Just, just, just a dollop in there. Hopefully that's the last of the misogyny that we'll see in this chapter. Surely. No, no. We're. I'm just gonna tease tease the listeners a little bit. I think we're gonna bring back uh, our beloved third segment. What, what, what do we call it? Do we have more than one segment? Yeah, the, the segment where we act out the the, the, the book. Oh God. <laughs> uh, we didn't have a name for it. Yeah, yeah. It was like uh, it was that Shakespeare quote that I I came up with. Remember? Oh uh, yeah. I haven't edited that episode yet, so I'm not sure. Crichton slip. Hmm. No, sorry. Crichton Havoc and Let Slip. Right. What's the original quote? Cry Havoc. Yeah. Okay. So Crichton Havoc. So soon it will be time for Crichton Havoc and Let Slip. Yes. So Jigs is hanging out at the pool, looking at potential suspects. Cue sound of people splashing in pool. Yeah. Checks out American couple, the Warrens. Jenks doesn't work for the hotel, so he's not checking out anybody. Thank you very much. Well, checking out has multiple meanings, as most words do. Ah. You dumb piece of shit. Um, so he, he looks over at the Warrens, an American couple and ah. their son, little Herbie. Um, <laughs> Poor little Herbie. <laughs> um, her, little Herbie is splashing his bird mother and his fat father. <laughs> uh, and uh, Jinx uh, suggests that little Herbie perhaps be strangled. He sees Mrs. Shaw and dismisses her. <laughs> why would why would anyone suspect the eccentric banana woman? Am I right? I don't even know why she's in this book. Like let's let's, let's be real. From yeah, me neither. And she's already flushed her drugs down the down the toilet. Why is she even uh, reemerging in the narrative? I'm sure that was the end uh, of her. Uh, you know what? There's a lot of stuff in this book that seems inexplicable. So okay, moving on. So uh, eventually, Miguel and Brian appear. Right? 
Miguel has. Hey guys. Hmm. So Miguel came up with nothing, but Brian has discovered something very consequential. Indeed. What has he discovered? Well, he has been monitoring the routine of the hotel staff mm. uh, up until this point. He hasn't been uh, lazily just uh, chasing after Annette. He's also observed the fact that um, when the uh, chambermaids clean the room, mm. they empty the waste paper bin into these green bags, which are then collected by a couple of local boys later on for disposal. Mm. And in passing, on his way down to meet uh, Miguel and Jenks, Brian noticed that there was a crumpled up Polaroid in one of these bin bags. Mm. And when he uncrumpled the Polaroid, he realised that it was a photo of a hotel room taken from the doorway. Whoa. This is curious, is it not? It is. Very curious. And he actually finds a couple of such Polaroids. Mm. That is the reason that he is half an hour late to this 10 o'clock meeting. I mean, it seems a bit long, but you know. What could be going on? What's happening? Explain it to me. Remember how uh, Miguel, Brian, and Jinx planned their assault of the rooms with flashcards? I do have a dim recollection of uh, such activity. Well, someone has done the exact same thing, but instead of flashcards, they have Polaroid pictures of the hotel rooms. What? Yep. So someone had the exact same plot that they did. So instead of relying on memory, they have taken a Polaroid picture of the room, searched the room, then referred back to the now-developed Polaroid picture to uh, make sure the room is in the same condition it was when they entered. Yes. And thus not arouse anyone's suspicion. Probably, probably a smarter way to do it, honestly. Although less covert, I would say, because That's you're true. making a noise with the Polaroid and making a huge bright flash as well. That's true. But uh, I will say that, you know, you can easily dispose of Polaroid pictures in a way that someone couldn't find them by, say, ripping them up. But apparently not necessary. Nope. Anyway, so Miguel and Jinx and Brian are like, who do we know who has a Polaroid picture? And what name does Miguel produce? Polaroid camera. Polaroid camera. Brian has the Polaroid picture, which he is shaking. Am I right? Eh? Eh? Yeah. Eh? Shake it like a Polaroid picture. Anyway, so, um, yes. Miguel ponders his memory, and what does he discover there? Miguel remembers that he saw a Polaroid camera in the room of one of the women he has recently bedded. None other than Cynthia. Mm. So what do the boys decide to do from there? The three chums. Let's all three of us burst into her hotel room, mm. employing one of these keys that we have uh, acquired. And now, Hugh, I believe, uh, you know, this, this <sighs> section... What, what's wrong? <laughs> <laughs> this section, I think, is uh, too bizarre and... Um, <laughs> distasteful for anything other than Michael Crichton's own words to do it justice. Am I right? Yeah, I guess so. So I think it's only proper that instead of uh, merely synopsizing it or merely even reading it aloud, we try to enact them. What's the segment called again? Crichton, I reckon, 
So would you like to be Cynthia or would you like to be the man in this chapter? Uh, Keep in mind, last time I was I was Jinx, so I I'll be, I could be Cynthia this time. Yeah, you can be Cynthia, okay. buddy. Who has like a British accent if it serves. Cynthia? Yeah. Why does she have a British accent? Uh, well, I guess, she's I guess part yeah, British. I guess you miss her in London, yeah. Yeah. What accent am I supposed to be doing? Miguel. We're going to be doing Miguel, Brian, and Jinx, so British... I don't know, Miguel. Uh, I guess don't do right, a racist accent for Miguel. But. I'll just, he's, it's an American accent. Yeah. Just, you just do three, you just do two different American accents and one British one. Okay. Uh, do, you, do you want to read the, uh, the nod speech text? Fine, or, fine, fine, or do you want fine. me to do it? I was going to offer to do no, it. I'll do it. I'll do it. I don't mind doing it. Okay. Where do you want to start? <laughs> I think we should do the entire thing. So just start with Cynthia. Right, yeah. You ready? Yep. Uh, I apologize in advance and after the fact. Cynthia looked up, startled, as the key was inserted into the lock and the door swung open. Three men walked into the room. She had been caught dressing and wore only a cashmere sweater which reached her waist. Instinctively, she pulled it down so it covered her crotch, but her buttocks were bare behind. Nice legs. Miguel snickered, shutting the door. You should see what she can do with them, too. Jenks sniffed the air. What's that smell? Miguel recognized it. Calf, he said, looking at Cynthia with new interest. What? Calf. Marijuana. She's been smoking it. Cynthia drew back, still holding her sweater down with one hand. No! So what's happened in this sequence is the three men have burst in on Cynthia. Miguel has taken the lead. He's left the two standing by the door. And he's gone up to the half-naked Cynthia, who quickly becomes completely naked. Yep. And he has begun to touch her. Yes. She's high on Keth, right? So she's a bit out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, She has already told the three men that she can take them all. Sexually speaking. That's true. And uh, she believes that uh, Miguel's advances are a prelude to pleasures to come, right? Mm. When in fact he's actually trying to torture information out of her. His particular method of torture appears to be a combination of pleasure and pain. Yep. Alternating between the two for whatever reason. Probably to do with um, Michael Crichton's sick fantasies. As with most depictions of sexual assault, you do have to pose the question, does this need to be in this book? Uh, and the answer is no. It adds nothing. No, it does not. Uh, it's, it's horrible and it's not justified by anything in the text at all. This is the absolute nadir of this book's overall flavor of misogyny. Yes, this is the lowest point of the novel. It's not enough. It's it's not a, it's not enough that Miguel se- tortures her in a sexual way. It's also that she has to enjoy it and become wet at the 
the prospect of it, yes. which is just so horrible. It is so horrible because, like, on one hand, like, if you're talking about justifying a scene of sexual assault, and let's say, like, maybe he skips over the details and just says that Miguel, you know, abuses her to get some information, right? Yes. I mean, that could be justified in the sense if he wanted to depict Miguel as, like, a horrible person, and up until this point we've been, you know, too distracted by all the mm. sights and sounds around this hotel and the James Bond action to realise that these are actually kind of brutal men, right? Maybe that's mm. the intent of it, but that's but, not really what's going on here. No, it definitely seems like a fantasy of of Crichton's along with the rest of the sex scenes of this book. Yeah, the fact that this plays out like all the other sex scenes and that it's described in lurid detail is extremely deplorable and disturbing. Yeah, and, and it, it obviously exists only to titillate. It doesn't exist as like some sort of indictment or anything like that. Like, there is the mention of the fact that um, one of the other two men looks disgusted at what's happening, but functionally, this is celebrating what's going on, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, this is fucking horrible, really. There's no way around it. This is, this is downright morally reprehensible, I think. I mean, the other, the other sex scenes, I mean, at least some of them in the book, definitely verge on sort of sexual assault and rape. But this one is the, definitely the worst. By the end of this section, Crichton makes it seem like Miguel's biggest crime was leaving her hanging. Yep, not finishing the job, as it were. Uh. <laughs> awful, awful shit. Yeah. How many more books do we have to go? Uh, 70. <laughs> You, you regretted uh, trying to forcing me to do this. You forced me to do this. No, I didn't. I just you, came. You up, came I was the, the ideas idea. man. You made it happen. I I, do, you, do you regret coming up with this idea? <laughs> well, Q, um, despite the horror of this little section, we have to move on. Mm-hmm. Is there still a lot left to this chapter? Unfortunately, is there? God. Yeah. So uh, we get a little scene with Brian uh, getting information out of. Annette. Yes. And he learns where John Paul's room is. That's it. That's all the section. Yep. Yep. So he and Jinx, uh, Miguel is not there because Miguel went to get his gun, despite Jinx not (laughs) wanting him to, uh, go up to the room and bash their way in, right? And they beat the shit out of John Paul. They knock him unconscious? Well, they think they've knocked him unconscious. Yes. Uh, They case his room, but there's nothing in it. And uh, in their state of distraction... They allow Jean-Paul to escape. Yes, uh, but they, they're, the boys are, are fast on his heels. They run after him, and, and they corner him on the roof, right? That's right. So um, Brian watches the door as Jinx goes from little roof section to little roof section. Chimney to chimney. Trying to ferret out the, this, this French weasel. And he finds him... And John Paul makes a dash for the for the door back to the hotel. And he socks Brian right across the jaw. Docks him down. And he's got to get away. But who is there but our, our good friend Miguel? Yay. Who weighs him two across the jaw and leaves him supine, uh, ready to be manipulated by, by Jinx. Yep. And uh, Jinx is like, who who's your leader? And threads to throw him off the building. And Hugh, 
Who does he say is behind it? Uh, he says, all right, I'll tell you. Get me back. To which Jenks responds with, I don't believe you, and I find you tiresome. Mm. And moves him closer to the edge. What? Jesus, I'll tell you. You've got to believe me. What accent was I supposed to do for Jean-Paul? I've been telling you. French. Ah, Jesus, I'll tell you. You've got to believe me. You've got to believe me. The man is named Brady. He has the money. He... But that doesn't satiate Jenks, does it? He wallops him in the stomach. And then... Shoves his chin down on the concrete mm. and says, Try again. To which Jean-Paul responds... Oh, it was... Monsieur! Mrs. Jean! It was Monsieur! She planned the whole it, it thing! It was Mrs. Jean! Mrs. Jean? I don't know how a French person would say Shaw. Uh, but does that satisfy Jenks? Well, even if he believes him, he punches him anyway. <laughs> and shoves him aside. And then... He looks over the lip of the building, down towards the pool below. Of course! There, there is the one her, herself. It was brilliant, truly inspired. Brady and Cynthia scouted, Jean-Paul did the dirty work, and the mastermind sat quietly by, selling dope and eating bananas. Ugh. I just want to take this moment to luxuriate in vindication. Because remember when we were discussing... Brady's actions a few chapters back when he seemed to be engaging in what I thought was a parallel plan to uh, rob the hotel. Yeah. Turns out I was correct. Even if he wasn't operating alone, he was essentially engaging in a parallel plan. I feel like I thought the, I thought the, I thought the same thing, but I can't remember. You literally said no to me. You said I, <laughs> I can't say I got that. I remember because it was only edited. Last week or something. Well, if you say so, bud. Fuck you, I did it! <laughs> I'm right! <laughs> anyway, Jake looks over the lip of the body as he said and sees Miss Shaw sitting there with her bananas. And mm -hmm. waiter comes up and gives her a telegram. She takes the message, reads it, looks around, then... It darts off. And Jake's with his minor abilities of extrasensory perception knows where she's headed. So he storms into her room, but she's already there. And Hugh, guess what? What? She's got a gun. The very thing Jenks did not want to bring with him. Ah, uh, but now, now, I'm sure his tune must have changed internally. We, we shall see on the next and final episode of, for Christ's sake, Odds On Edition. Oh.